Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Animism Listening to the Land podcast. We are back together after a long break and we're very excited to continue to share and be in conversation with all of you listeners. So thanks for tuning in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel really grateful to be back here with you, Phil. Back in the same space after all of these months apart. Likewise, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Continuing the conversation. Which uh, makes me curious about, in these months apart that we've had, Phil, I'm curious about uh, what kind of animistic experiences you've had in the time in between. Excellent. Yeah, let's share some stories about our time apart. And I'll, I'll share two stories. Um, I think uh, the first one I want to share is just that this summer has been kind of challenging for me personally, and I've actually gotten into a place of feeling rather disconnected at times with, with the living landscape. And it's through these two events that actually I felt really uh, remembered, as you like to say, and encouraged by how naturally I can slip back into deeper relationship with the living landscape. So the first story I wanted to share is one about Union Bay, which is a place that's very intimate for me. It's a little wild gem in the middle of Seattle. And on this day, I had gone out there bringing my camera gear, and I actually um, just started doing videography and photography again after a long break, focusing on wildlife once again, which is something I dearly love. And I was out there walking the land, and I closed my eyes. I remember stopping, closing my eyes, and asking the land, please help me reconnect. I've been feeling really out of sorts, and I feel like I'm not listening to the greater story and, and the greater uh, experience of life and connection. And I remember allowing myself to really slow down and what that felt like. And as I was walking the, the main trail, I remember joggers, joggers going by really fast and even people walking at regular pace were passing me by and I was just in this state of like deep relaxation. And I had several encounters with wild cottontails and they actually allowed me to sit with them and and this beautiful magic started to unfold from that experience. I was deeply moved by how much they trusted me and I slowly sank down from a standing position, you know, turned on my camera sometimes, but for the most part was really focused on just connecting with them and with the surrounding landscape and several rabbits, so this happened multiple times to me, actually sat with me, looked me in the eyes, went back to feeding and grooming, and just showed me completely relaxed behavior. They weren't feeling stressed by me at all. Whereas other people walking by or joggers walking by would make them flinch or make them jump into the brush. And I remember as Nathan, as one of your favorite words, um, kept coming into my mind of what it means to be remembered because I was feeling disassociated and disconnected. 
sitting there in that land and connecting with the rabbits as well as grasshoppers and um, waving er, flowers and uh, grasses and grape leherons flying over helped me remember that I'm a part of this wild family and that I belong. And that was really needed for me. That was really needed. And I'm wondering if rather than me telling two stories, if you're interested in telling a story of your own in, in between my two stories. Yeah. Well, I feel, um, I feel a lot of gratitude to those rabbits in the landscape for the falling back into the rhythm of the land yes. that that came with, or that that provided you with. It actually kind of reminds me of this little tidbit of, uh, I had a friend recently um, come visit me here in Washington. We were looking at the skyline at night, and we were looking at the silhouette of the, silhouette of the trees on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And he, he's a musician really gifted musician and he was noticing how the way the trees and their different heights and their different sizes kind of offered like a music line wow. for a written like a written composition yeah and and i started reflecting on like watching the trees like sway in the wind mm-hmm. and those those are like the almost as the musical notes of the trees playing this song together and what I heard in your story with the rabbits and just falling into the landscape in that way and just the ways in which they were greeting you, it was like you fell into that same composition. Like you were a part of that lyrical song of the landscape as the rabbits were and as the trees were on this particular night when I was with my friends and how like their relationship with you highlighted this and emphasized that you were a part of, you were a part of the, the music of that landscape in that moment on that day in relationship with them. That's beautifully put. I honestly, I felt that I, I did feel that. And sometimes when we share these kinds of stories, it can feel a little bit almost hokey, you know, because we're constantly talking about, you know, connecting with deeper feelings and it sounds very abstract, but, but honestly, having been in that experience, that experience was very sensory, was very physical, and that sense of connection was very physical. I felt through my skin, through my whole body, I felt connected to to the greater landscape, not just the rabbits, not just the plants or the birds, but this greater sense of aliveness and wildness as well. I felt like I was remembering that I was part of this unfolding that was happening. You know, this this continuous unfolding that's happening and and the natural world of course is not static it is continually unfolding there's a pro there's processes happening there's cycles happening there's movement in all directions and i think one of the greatest sadnesses for us as people in western civilization is we've largely forgotten that we are part of that unfolding and what that means to really reconnect with that so so I just want to put it out there that, you know, this is not uh, a sort of purely philosophical, you know, tale of mentally reconnecting, but I really felt in an embodied way. I felt mm-hmm. I was remembering being part of the land. Yeah, and it's that embodied connection um, 
that that exact tidbit is why I love that word being remembered so much. Mm-hmm. Even in my own head, like I think of it as re-remembered. And I have this saying like every morning when I wake up and I step outside for the first time, like I'll ask the land to remember me within the body of the land. And just uh, the acknowledgement therein that like we think of land as like a particular place, but land is truly like a compilation of all of these individual beings coming together in interrelationship to create a land. And that myself as an individual can step within that interrelationship and be a part of the creation of a landscape. And for me, that's what it means to be remembered within the body of the land. It's it's entirely a sensory experience of coming into being, allowing myself and surrendering myself to be a part of the song of the landscape, to be a part of the composition of the landscape. And I had this experience this summer where it was very, I was very much so in a place of being remembered by, by a particular land. I too was actually in a, sp- a space of feeling disconnection and feeling myself kind of growing numb to the aliveness of the living lands. And I was working uh, summer camps for a wilderness school and I had a student who was upset with me. And as I sat down with him, we started to come into peace. It became very clear that um, what he was upset with me about was very much a projection. And that there was all of this other stuff underneath that projection. And as I realized this, I said, hey, like, let's go for a walk. And just the two of us just went for a walk out into the woods. And we went up into uh, a shelter that I had built with the students earlier that day. It was this huge shelter, massive. I could fit like all 14 of us inside. And we sat in there and we worked on just some skills and we just talked, just had a conversation. And as we left that space, we were leaving and I told him that I felt he was mature for his age. Mm. And he looked at me and he told me, he's like, my parents don't think so. And that brought a little sadness inside me. And I asked him, I was like, well, what do you think? And he's like, you know, I'm not sure. And as we were walking, we were walking by this uh, ponderosa pine tree. And I looked to the ponderosa and I told him, I was like, you know, sometimes when I have a question that feels a little too big for myself, I'll take that question to a tree and I'll ask the tree my question and I'll wait for an answer and he's like you talk to trees it's like yeah sometimes (laughs) and he's like do the trees ever answer back like how do they talk back I told him like well that's very um, like that's very much an individual endeavor Mm -hmm. of what listening Mm -hmm. is and how trees speak to you and then he turns to this to the ponderosa pine and he asks the tree he says, Tree, is it weird if I talk to you? And there was this pause. And then I heard this cicada buzzing just on the other side of the tree. And when he heard this buzzing, he perked up and he was like, I think the tree just said no. And I was like, wow, like that's, that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And then we, as we began to walk away from that, suddenly I my perception of the land began to shift Um, being as we perceive in like this 3d layer of a place suddenly my perception started shifting more into like a 2d like a painting 
where I could see the boundaries between beings, like the lines of their bodies, but it seemed like they just flowed one right into the other, like wow. like a painting or a drawing. Wow. And as this experience started to become more and more overwhelming, I, when the day concluded, I went up to my director and I asked him if I could have some space to, to just go out into the woods. And he's like, yeah, of course. And as I went to go down by the riverfront along the Spokane River in eastern Washington, um, he came up to me. He's like, "Oh, like actually, can you come talk to his parents, the student that we had that that I had that experience with earlier in the day, just to let them know what had unfolded?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, of course." And so I ran back up, had this conversation with um, his mom, and then ended up going off into the forest rather than going back down to the river. And as I approached the forest edge, I stopped on the forest edge and I asked the forest permission to enter. Mm. And as I asked this question, I realized too that it was the first time I had done that in this particular landscape. And as I, right as I completed my question, a stick fell down and landed right next to my left foot. And I felt that as a, as a response, as a yes. Mm-hmm. That's how I sensed it. And as I stepped into the woods, after about just 10 steps, a great horned owl came flying over the right side of my body and off into the woods and then up wow. into a ponderosa pine. And for like the next 20 minutes, I just was slowly walking up on this owl. And as I would get close, they would fly to another tree mm-hmm. within my sight. And so I would <clears throat> kept keep following them. And then it concluded when they flew and landed upon the shelter that I had built with the students that day. And I reflected back on how I told my, the students that I was going to sleep in that shelter that night. And when I saw the great horn land, I was like, ooh, I need, to, I need to sleep in that shelter tonight. I don't know what this experience is, but I'm feeling the call. I'm feeling it in my body, in my perception. That's so how I promised the great horn that I would come back and sleep there that night. And I left, went and had my staff meeting, did all of our stuff, and then... I immediately went and started to prepare to go sleep in the shelter, grabbing my wool layers. I went and grabbed my altar and just gathered up some things and then disappeared out into the forest. And when I went out there, as I laid in the shelter, I beefed it up a little bit, honestly, because it was so big and it didn't need to be. So I shifted some things around to make it more warm, <laughs> more insulate, insulated for myself, just right, being one person. And... Then I set up my altar and made a little uh, medicine wheel of the directions next to my altar. And then I sat there. And right before I'd gone out into the forest, one of my friends had given me um, a blessing to take out there with me. And I took this blessing and it was now laid in the center of my altar. And I asked the forest if I should intake this blessing. And as I asked that question, I heard the great horned owl right on top of the shelter call out. Wow. And I immediately just took that as, took that as yes. Mm -hmm. And so then I consumed the blessing and nearly immediately fell asleep. Wow. And then I woke up deep in the middle of the night and I turned towards my altar and I was so tired. I was so exhausted, but I was very much alive and awake. And then I just like laid down 
or kneel down before the altar with just my head upon the ground and kind of like in a, the fetal position. And as I was laying there, I started speaking a mantra that I carry. And after a while, I'm not sure how much time it passed, I suddenly heard this little scurrying near the top of my bed, mm-hmm. my pine needle bed in my backpack. I remembered that I had a nectarine in there. Mm-hmm. That was given to me by my same friend who had given me that blessing. And I slowly started to just turn my head to the side where like going just 90 degrees took me at least like a half hour. I'm not even sure how long it was, but I was just moving so slowly because I didn't want to disturb the creature. I wanted to see them if I wanted to see who they were. So as I'm turning my head, I finally get it turned to the side to be able to look. I see this little mouse trying to find a way (laughs) into my backpack. And so then I slowly start to try and turn my head back. As I'm turning my head, my hair brushes against a bunch of the pine needles. Mm. It makes a sound and the mouse just scurries off and disappears. And I was like, ooh, damn. <laughs> and then I turned my body and laid back down on my pine needle bed. And as I was laying there, just my face in the pine needles, my backpack right above me, still not falling asleep, after some time had passed, I heard the scurrying again mm-hmm. and I knew that the mouse is back to get at that nectarine. <laughs> and then after a time I just sat there and I listened suddenly I could hear the scurrying getting a little bit closer and closer to me when suddenly I felt the mouse jump up onto my right shoulder wow. of my back. And as I'm sitting there, I immediately froze like feeling their body on my back. And then to my complete and utter surprise, I felt them lie down on my back. Whoa. And the moment they lie down, I myself fell asleep. Wow. And when I woke up the next morning, there was a part of me that was like, was that a dream? Like, did <laughs> I dream that experience? Like, it felt so real, but it just seemed so, like, I've never had an experience like that before. Uh-huh. And so the first thing I did is I looked into my backpack. And I saw a little opening of the zipper, and when I pulled it open, I went inside and I pulled out the nectarine. I saw little uh, mouse teeth marks oh. all along the nectarine. <laughs> and then that revealed to me that the story was true. Yeah. And then I took the nectarine, I spoke some gratitude, and then I took a big bite just to share that nectarine with the mouse, just as we had shared that sleep in that shelter. Mm. And the whole experience was was an experience of being remembered within the body of this landscape to find myself as being as belonging as the mouse belonged, as the great horn belonged, as all those pine needles belonged. Yeah. In that land, I found myself in a sensory experience of stepping back into belonging. Hmm. That's, I love that story. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And, and I love the multiple examples you give of, speaking to and then listening for response from the living landscape mm. and the various ways that that came, the falling stick, the owl, you know, the cicada. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's interesting to think about all the different ways a landscape can speak to us. So many different ways. Yeah, which reminds me of my story, which is a short little story. And it took place a couple of weeks ago. We had this brief 
several day period of off and on thunderstorms, which are rare in our area. They're not very common. And on this particular day, it had been a very stressful week. On this particular day, I had woken up with a really bad sinus headache. Like, so bad that like I was squinting my eyes and felt like this like ice pick behind one of my eyeballs and it was just very intense and I was struggling to stay positive and uh, functional, <laughs> you know, and just taking care of things and I happened to have the day off that day. And so I was home with my partner and and she and I were just kind of doing things in the house and towards the end of the day, so after a full day of having this very intense sinus pressure headache, I decided, okay, I'm going to I'm going to go walk over to the farm nearby and I'm going to take the compost over there and just just have a moment of just connecting with the land because I've been feeling really disconnected and and I'm sure that's not really helping my mood and my health. And so I took my bucket of compost and I was walking across the street and walking over to this farm and it started to rain. And previously it ha was not raining. And it started to rain harder and harder and harder. And by the time I dumped the compost, it was raining so hard that on the little compost metal bucket, it sounded like someone was drumming on the metal and and I could feel the rain like saturating through my clothing and this isn't a very long walk it's not very far to to do this from where I'm living right now and I just looked up at the sky at the rain and I started laughing and then I said would you please help take my pain away like this I'm feeling really overwhelmed and really disconnected and then it started pouring even harder to the point where like it was hard to have my eyes open because there's so much water coming down and hitting my face. And I kind of stood up fully and I extended my arms out and I looked up at the sky and right there, right above me, all of a sudden this lightning bolt shot across the sky through the cloud and then this huge boom sounded and it continued to rain really hard and I felt because of the lightning and because of the rain, I felt this like flowing away of pain and discomfort. And by the time I'd walked back to my front door, I felt completely whole and my headache was gone. And I was just laughing the whole time and just feeling this joy of aliveness and connection. And it was really beautiful. And it happened very quickly in the span. That whole story unfolded in the span of maybe two minutes. And my partner was standing in the doorway laughing at me because she's like, of all the times you chose to walk out with a compost, it was right when it was raining the hardest. And of course that's true, but in, in the most beautiful way possible, it was also very, very connected. And once again, I was remembered into the greater community of the land. Yeah. And it was also kind of overwhelming. And lightning is an incredible force in the world. And rain can be really powerful too sometimes. And so there was this sense of surrendering to this greater will of the land and acknowledging that, you know, I didn't, I couldn't do this alone. I didn't know how to you know, get through this experience of discomfort and disconnection alone. And as soon as I surrendered myself and asked for help, it came and it came very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I was very moved by that. And 
that sense of belonging and that sense of like well-being and aliveness lasted you know throughout the rest of the day and and I slept really really well that night which I hadn't slept well in several nights before that so it was yeah it was an amazing experience mm, yeah I was really struck um, by the way you use surrender in that story mm. and also struck by like this theme of this theme of disconnection Yes. That's come that was alleviated and re the reconnection came through uh, a space outside of ourselves. Like a, an embodied experience with an other than human beings. Whether that be the rabbits, the mouse, or the lightning and the rain. Right. Like these other than human who are expressing themselves and offering to bring us back into a place of reconnection after we step into that place of surrendering to surrendering to their power, almost surrendering to their capacity to weave us back into the story. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. I like, I like you emphasizing that and yeah, surrender is definitely part of the practice of animism. And I know that's going to be a theme for us. We're going to keep coming back to that in future episodes, future conversations. But yeah, it it, uh, it takes letting down our walls and opening ourselves up to to have that full experience of being alive and connected. Yeah, absolutely. And I was also feeling in there too, like the like I like how your partner spoke to like of all of the moments for you to go out there. This is the time that you chose, right? And like just that minor detail of like those shifts of just a couple minutes, even just a couple seconds with the lightning. Um, how that could that experience would have been entirely different and then coming back into my own story of the way I chose to because I needed to engage with these this these parents that I didn't have my experience down by the water and instead went into the forest yes and like all of these little details that shift the way the story unfolds the way the relationships unfold yes and it brings me back into just what is that that current that understory that is beneath like within the living landscape that sweeps the, the stories and relationships to weave in a certain way to weave in the ways that like our stories did right yeah i i think about that a lot it's it's one of the great mysteries of being alive is why why are things flowing in in the precise ways and the precise timing that they do of course, we might not ever have very solid answers to those questions, or we might have to keep asking those questions again and again because we keep having variations of that experience. But, mm. but ultimately, it's it's very much a human experience to have those things unfold, and especially when we are willing to surrender to these greater energies, these greater you know, forces around us that we are part of, right? It's not that they're just doing something to us. They're doing something with us. Mm. Participation mm-hmm. rather than being forced to do something. Yeah. And also, uh, it reminds me, it's breaking up a song that I learned this summer. The lines of the song are, uh, I want to live as a river flows, mm. captured by the surprise of its own unfolding. Wow. 
That's beautiful. Yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, so at this point, I thought it would be fun for us to uh, talk about something that we actually want to make one of our themes of the podcast, which is our personal projects and edges. And I will start by saying more about photography and videography. I mentioned that earlier in one of my stories today, and I wanted to say that uh, I have been a photographer, a wildlife photographer, for about 20 years, and I actually started to set that practice aside because I was starting to feel that it was becoming disconnected for me rather than connected. Like I was starting to feel like it was a task and it was very goal oriented and you know granted that's not necessarily bad but for me I was really hoping to keep having deeper more intimate connections with the wild landscapes and with the beings that live on them. So I'm picking up photography and videography once again. And for me now, one of my practices is actually to go out on a landscape, whether it's a familiar one or an unfamiliar one, and speak to the land and say, I'm here to have an intimate experience. I'm asking for you to allow that to unfold and I will take photos and videos of those moments if, as you present them. So this is in contrast to saying to myself in the past, like, oh, today I'm going to go photograph eagles and just spending the whole day following eagles around and, and like trying really, really hard to get eagle photos or heron photos or whatever, you know, the subject of the day is. In this case, this practice is about surrendering to what's being presented to me and then allowing myself to connect as intimately with those wild beings and those subjects as much as possible and honestly it's been really rewarding and really fun already I've, I mentioned the moments with the rabbits I've had some moments with snakes and other beings and uh, it really feeds me on a very deep level and it also allows me to bring back these really fun videos and photographs to share with others. So yeah, that's been something I feel really inspired about right now. And, and videography is actually an edge for me because I've been a photographer. And so learning to shoot videos, doing them at the highest quality I can, and then trying to edit them and put them together is something that's relatively new for me. And so it's a fun edge to push for me. It's definitely a, a big learning curve in that respect. Hmm. All right. What about you, Nathan? Well, I'm curious about how you feel like going into a landscape and just going for like, say, like a naturalist walk. Um, uh -huh. And then in contrast to going out there with, with your camera and seeing, <laughs> no pun, all pun intended, but with through this lens, like how has that shifted oh. your animistic experience of engaging a landscape? Yeah, well, yeah, it comes back around to like why I started to put the camera down in my life, right? And when, in the past, when I was doing photography, I was very focused on a product of some sort, right? So it was about like, I want to capture this animal in this light, in this pose, with this behavior, and bring that back. And so the focus became 
the end point and right. what I'm kind of the take home, right? So it was, in a way, it was kind of extractive, right? In mm. a way, it was sort of colonized, if you want to say that, in that I, I was focused on what I could get out of it in this sort of possessive sense and this sort of like, you know, here is this concrete thing that I'm taking away. It's a photograph or whatever. And whether I want to sell it or share it or, you know, it, it was the, the focus. But now for me in this practice, the focus is really the connective moment. And the photographs and videos are merely a representation of that. And so mm. the, the, the greater part of the experience for me is really being there and sensing you know, that connection and feeling those feelings and, and having that moment of looking the rabbit in the eye while it's the sunshine is hitting it and the glow and, you know, all this, like, being like a sponge and soaking that experience up. Mm. And then if the photograph comes out or doesn't, isn't nearly as important. And so, and that's another way it's different is that I have so little tension about whether I'm successful or not, right? Because... Mm. From this ph ph photographical or video videographical standpoint, you're very focused on like, well, how successful am I? Like, did this come out? Did this work? And and I've gone through years of practicing the form of you know how to do these things, and now I feel like I can always refine that further and further. But now I feel like the internal practice is so much more important. Mm the connections, those moments where, you know, the memory of that experience is burned into me, is part of me, and is remembering and reminding me that I belong and that I'm in relationship with this being. Mm. And it's not just this abstract image that I take home. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And also kind of... Um brings up for me too uh, recently like we went on a walk with your camera when uh -huh. you brought your camera along and it's reminding me of how much um we slowed down right because of your camera right and like engaging each of those individuals in a way that i don't know like i try i definitely um intentionally do that when i'm just out roaming the wild places but also just being so present, especially when you're taking videos and say like the garter snake, yeah, uh, that garter snake and just that video, we were just so intimate with this garter snake for such an extended period. Right. And that slowness, um, I feel like in this moment right now, it's actually sinking into me how much your camera was a tool for us and an ally for us in connecting with the land. Yeah, yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, we had that wonderful walk where we encountered 60 different chorus frogs <laughs> along this short little boardwalk yes. and multiple garter snakes. And yeah, and that was wonderful. Yeah, I think the camera was forcing us to appreciate each individual. Yeah, well, thank you for talking about photography and videography with me. That is really something I, I love doing right now but I also really want to hear more about you and what's what's exciting for you what's going on for you yeah well um, I'm actually not even sure if I've mentioned before 
on this podcast, but I'm going to school at Evergreen State College down in the Olympia area. That's right. Currently, I have a project in the works of the ways in which animism can enhance the work of, or the field of social work. I Um, love that. Yeah, I had this uh, little epiphany uh, last spring when I was reading um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually hilarious. I forget the line that it was, but I was reading in this, um, like one of the final chapters, and then I wrote in the column, like reciprocal restoration. And then I turned the page over, and on the, net, the following page, she uses those words of reciprocal restoration. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, after reading that chapter, I got really struck into the ways in which reciprocal restoration and eco psychology can play into social work to be like social workers for both the human communities but also the other than human communities and the ways to create and foster an experience of reciprocal restoration between land and humans and so currently i'm in this this academic project of curating what i'm calling or name in progress but right now it's the wild workers um, social workers for both the human and other than human communities to work as um, ambassadors for the democracy of species it's like such a key role in that for me as I recognize that as a, as a species, we once sat upon the council of all beings. And now we currently find ourselves as a dictator above this council. Or we imagine we are, at least. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so then how do we reprise our roles and even like earn our roles back to be able to sit upon the council of all beings? And I feel that working as social workers for the land is a way in which we can step into this. That's, uh, I am so excited about this project and its potential and, and to see, you know, what, what you learn along the way and also how we can make this actually manifest in some way. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. It's definitely also, um, an edge piecing it together because it feels trying to find the um the language and the i guess the weaving of the story to make it approachable universally Mm -hmm. right to make it um a way that can be like right now there's even this dreaming that one day there might even be like a wild worker within like every organization and business yeah within within our uh, within our lands mm-hmm. and so that within every organization there's someone who's working as an ambassador for all of the species to recognize the like the ethics behind that organization and how they want to uphold themselves right but then the thought process there is like for that to happen that has to be universally accepted yes and so what is the language and ways in which to to help curate that to be universally accepted so that is my edge in this moment to be able to find the dialogue be able to express this to people of all ends of this political spectrum well you know what's interesting what you're making me think of is that there's already a culture in this world that is very technologically focused and advanced that essentially does that and that's japan Mm. because shinto is used even in major corporations to help like bless the side of where you know factories are built and all these kinds of things so it's one obviously one variation of that but 
I just want to point that out because this idea is sounds very grandiose, but it actually, in some ways, already exists in the world. Mm. You know, it just doesn't necessarily happen that way in, say, in America, right, or yeah. or in Europe, where we aren't as animistically savvy, maybe, or focused. Mm -hmm. Not yet. Not yet. Ah, thank you. That that's <laughs> that's that's what we need to that's what we need to encourage. Yes, not yet. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd like to thank you, Phil, for allowing me to share about my own personal projects and edges that I got going on. Oh, anytime. Yeah, it always feels good when we can share in that way and bounce ideas off each other as we just had. Mm -hmm. And it also kind of. Which kind of brings me back into offering um, an animistic challenge for all you listeners. Um, I'd actually like to offer the, a similar challenge to the one that I offered uh, my student from the summer that I shared about in the beginning. About stepping into a relationship with an other than human being. And taking a question to them that feels a little bit too big for you to answer yourself. Mm -hmm. um, the example from that story being... A uh, student asked the, the tree if it was weird if he talked to them um, and sometimes. And then, like, the other question that he was offered to ask was, am, am I a mature human for my age? And so, yeah, just finding a question in your own self that feels just a little bit too big for you to answer uh -huh. alone and take that question to an other-than-human being, such as a tree or a stone or... A beach whatever other than human being feels called to receive your question mm -hmm. I like that challenge and I think uh, I will also take that challenge on myself too mm. I think that would be good that'd be cool if we came back with our own stories with our own stories absolutely about that challenge. but we also want to hear from all of you and once again we want to encourage all of you to reach out to us and contact us and share we do have a uh, uh, active Facebook page now for this podcast. Yeah. Anim Animism Listening to the Land podcast webpage. So. Or Facebook page. Yeah. Excellent. So I think at this time we're going to wrap things up and and always uh, I feel grateful for all of you listeners out there that are tuning in to us and, and I really, really invite you sincerely to participate with us in this conversation in this form of experience and and feel like you know you have something to contribute as well we we genuinely want to hear from you and we also feel incredibly grateful that you are taking the time to listen to us share our experiences and our ideas so thank you mm -hmm. i'd also like to offer my gratitude to you phil once again, hosting me in your space and inviting us into this conversation together. I also like to offer my gratitude to this mic and for recording us and just being such an ally in this process and also to your space here for holding us in our conversation and our, and our exploration of embodied animism. Absolutely. And I also want to acknowledge that crow that playfully peeked in through the window at us as we were... <laughs> going through a recording process to add a little humor and uh, magic and excitement into this moment. So, yeah, 
Um, thank you, Nathan. And we'll be back again, hopefully very soon, to record another episode. So until then, we'll see you later. <laughs>